Good morning. Uh, welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church. We're glad to have you. Uh, glad to have you worship with us today if you're a visitor, and so we welcome you in the name of the Lord. Also, if you would take the friendship roll and pass it down, we would have a record of your presence. If you would like to know anything about the church or need to see me, please uh, put a check on that thing, and we'll, we'll get in touch with you. Our Christian sympathy goes out uh, today to the Skelton family in the death of Joel. His funeral was Thursday, uh, but uh, that uh, pain and grief lasts for a long time, so pray for the Skelton family. The deacons meet this afternoon at 4.30. Uh, they're working on the budget, so pray that they'll be good stewards of God's money. Uh, Josh Reagan, uh, Ben is on vacation, so Josh Reagan, the associate pastor of Greenwood Presbyterian Church, uh, will come and speak tonight. And then two announcements about the youth. The youth will meet this evening after worship service at Bill and Tenny Lester, and you see the address there at Dockery Farms. And then Monday, the youth will gather together here Monday night and put together care packages for the correctional institution. And so hope you'll be able to do that. With no more announcements, let's prepare our hearts to worship God.
privilege to worship God, let us be called to worship this morning from Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him. good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. You, Lord, have become our hope, our comfort, our strength, our all. In you do our souls rejoice. The darkness vanished from before our eyes, and we beheld you, the Son of Righteousness. When we loved darkness, we didn't know you, but wandered on from night to night. But you led us out of that blindness. You took us by the hand and called us to yourself. And now we can thank you and your mighty voice, which has penetrated to our inmost hearts. Come now, Lord, inhabit our worship, our hymns, our praises, and our thanksgiving. Speak to us through your holy word, your truth, by the power of your spirit. And teach us anew the simple yet profound truths of the Lord's Prayer as we pray it together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our affirmation of faith is printed there in the bulletin, the Apostles' Creed. We will say it together. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence you shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our hymn is number 296, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name.
Our responsive reading is Psalm 116. If you'll turn to page 827, we'll read responsively. The Word of God, Psalm 116. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice, he heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me, the anguish of the grave came upon me, I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord, O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul. For the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted. And in my dismay, I said, all men are liars. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious is the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in the midst, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise, praise the, the Lord. Lord. Let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Uh, the Puritans uh, gave us a lot of wonderful ways to worship and to pray. At the beginning of the morning prayer, I'm going to be using a prayer of the 18th century uh, Puritan Robert Hawker. Pray with me. Most blessed God and Father, we bless you, we praise you, and we desire to love you in and through Jesus. And while our souls benefit and enjoy the person and work of Jesus, keep us always mindful that it is you, most gracious and almighty Father, that has made him most blessed forever. Your glory is great in his salvation, and the glory of the Son of God is great in your salvation. Yes, blessed Jesus, we would cast all upon you, sins, sorrows, trials, and temptations. You are the almighty burden bearer of your people, for the Lord Jehovah has laid on you the iniquity of us all. And as you bear all our sins, so you carry all our sorrows. And do you not bear every one of your redeemed? Do you not bear all our troubles, temptations, trials, and difficulties? The government is upon your shoulder. The care of the church is all with you. So will we not cast our cares upon you? Will we worry about many things while Jesus says, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you? Lord, give us grace to let loose all things and leave all things with you. Lord, bear us up when we are falling. Support us when we are weak. Uphold us against all our enemies. Carry us safe through a life of grace here. And finally, bring us home for your glory, to behold you and dwell with you forever. Come now, Lord Jesus, bind up those of us with broken hearts. Comfort those of us who are grieving the loss of loved ones. Heal our sick and give peace to our anxious spirits. Speak the wisdom of your truth to all the corners of our lives. Prompt us by your spirit 
to seek forgiveness when we sin against you and others. And teach us to love you and each other as Jesus loves you and his church with the knowledge that our citizenship is in heaven and not this world. Grant wisdom to our local, state, and national leaders to govern beyond their own understanding. Give us courage to speak wisdom and truth in ways that will honor your name and bring glory to it. And spur us to pray at all times and in all circumstances that we might seek your will in all things to the glory and honor of your most holy name, the one in whose name we pray, our Father and our God. Amen. Let's continue our worship by singing hymn number 498, Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners.
pray. Father, we uh, say with David of old, who am I and who are your people that can give as generously as this? Father, I thank you for the generosity of your people. I pray that you would move them to give the tithe and the offering faithfully, but you'd also move them to give it cheerfully, and that with their giving that you might give them all grace they need to meet all their needs for every day. I pray that you'd give the deacons wisdom today as they meet to formulate the budget. I thank you for their wisdom. I pray that you'd give them good principles of stewardship that through our giving, through our budget, that we might see the kingdom of God grow in our church, in our midst, and around the world. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
uh, would entertain a motion that we dismiss after that beautiful music, but I'm afraid you'd second it and vote on it. So we are in the book of Hebrews. We have been in there for some time, and so most of you know uh, that we do not know who wrote it. We do not know who it's written to, but we know what it's written about. It's written about these Jewish Christians, Christians who had a Jewish background that were being tempted to leave. Uh, the book of Hebrews is very, very difficult to understand. And it's even more difficult, I found, uh, to preach. And some of you found it difficult, too. I saw a commentary make its way in here. They're checking me out to see if I'm... I wouldn't call Buddy Ware out of it, but anyway, he's got his commentary out checking me out. But uh, anyway, we're going to look at Hebrews. We're going to look at chapter 10, and we're going to look at verse 26 and following. And we, if we deliberately and keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in great contest of the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who believe and are saved. This is a reading of God's word to God's people. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, grant us understanding where there needs to be conviction and conversion. Would you bring it where there needs to be encouragement and comfort? Would you give it? Would you free us to live for Christ who died for us as we uh, listen to your word in Jesus' name? Amen. This author that we do not know, we know a lot about. We know he is a great writer. Uh, his vocabulary is well chosen. His double use of the same word and uh, different definitions is uh, amazing. The way he uses chiastic uh, uh, structure sometimes in his paragraphs are just uh, unbelievable. But he's a pastor. And this is a sermon, or this is a letter that turned into a sermon. And he loves his congregation, and he's concerned about them. And he's concerned about the way in which they are being tempted to fall away from Jesus and the church. And he knows what's doing it. Uh, it is the persecution of the day, and it's a draw of tradition and his friends. And as a good shepherd, he's trying to keep his flock together. And this writer knows a great deal about the Old Testament and tabernacle worship and worship at the temple. And his whole focus is he's throwing everything at us. He's doing everything he can to say, don't leave Jesus. He's saying Jesus is better than Moses and Abraham and angels and the high priests and the prophets. He's better than anything. He's a, he's a better sacrifice. He gives us a better covenant. You cannot leave. You know, it would be foolish to leave. Have you ever been involved in trying to talk someone out of doing something you know is really bad? Whether they're going to leave their family or 
take a job that's bad for them or uh, take a course that they, you know they can't pass. And what you do when you're talking to them or you're trying to talk somebody out of an addictive lifestyle and go to a, a halfway house, what you do in that instance is you throw the kitchen sink at them. You beg them. You plead with them. You tell them how much you love them. You tell them how bad it's going to be. If you don't, they're going to ruin their family. And that's what this passage is about. He warns them with the worst warning in this whole book, really, of the judgment of God and the fire that consumes people who are unbelievers. And then he stops by saying, I don't believe this is you. You're going to continue. So he warns them and he encourages them. Let me give you some headings we want to look at. He calls them to remember three things. Remember the judgment of God. Remember your former life. And remember Christ is coming and he will reward you. R remember the judgment. This passage probably has the strongest language in it about judgment of any that we could ever read. He talks about this judgment that is a judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And it's no light thing. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Fire and consumption and dreadful thing. And he's talking about this eternal punishment that awaits the wicked and the unbelieving. And he's talking about hell. And a lot of times you... Well, I would say not a lot of times do you hear from a pulpit uh, the concept of hell. That we live in an age that doesn't want to hear that. That they don't want to believe that a loving God could actually have and send people who are evil, wicked, unbelieving, uh, Christ-denying people to this place called hell. And yet nobody talks about hell any more than Jesus does. Jesus does, in so many places, talk about the, the place where there is eternal judgment. I just want to read a couple. Jesus says, And so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, Matthew 13. And in your hand, or if your foot causes you to sin, throw it, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter life crippled or maimed than with two hands to be thrown into the eternal fire. Matthew 18, 8 and 9. The king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 22. And then he said to those on his left, depart from me, you are cursed into eternal fire prepared for the devil and all his angels, Matthew 25, 41. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will enter into eternal life, Matthew 25. And then he talks about in Mark 9, 14, the unquenchable fire. You see, what Jesus is doing through this author here is warning us that God is going to judge all people. And that the loving thing to do is to warn people of that judgment and how to avoid it. I was listening to Sinclair Ferguson, a Scottish preacher. Some of you have listened to him as well. And he talked about this royal worship service. You know, the, the British can really put on a, a, a great funeral. You hate to say it like that. You know, majestic music and, and pageantry and all these scriptures and all these... Uh, speeches and things like that and after one of these uh, majestic funerals one of the people that had done the speaking I guess he was a, a reverend or a bishop or something was asked by one of the royal family ladies that was very elderly and she said after the service do we really believe there's a hell? And the bishop says, my good lady, the New Testament talks about a hell. Jesus talks about a hell. 
And the articles of the Church of England talk about hell. And she said, then why in the name of God don't you tell us about it? And what she was saying, if there really is a separation of unbelievers from believers, the wheat from the chaff, the sheep from the goats, and we really need to know it. Well, who's he addressing here? He's addressing those who deliberately sin and consistently deliberately sin. He is not talking about somebody who's struggling with sin. You know, you have a temper or you have anger and you're struggling with it and you're constantly trying to uh, mortify it. You're trying to kill it and you're constantly going back to the Lord. I, I did it again. Or you're, you're struggling with worry or you're struggling with lust or you're struggling with whatever your sin might be that you're, you're trying to get a, a victory over but you don't yet quite have. It's not talking about that. In the Old Testament, it talks about sins of that are intentional and sins that are unintentional. And it says there are sacrifices for unintentional sins, but there's no sacrifice for intentional sins. And that's really not even a good definition or of that word. The word really means high-handedness, sinning high-handedly, meaning you know the truth, you know there's God. You know He's told you not to worship idols and you did it again. And you reject Him. The language in this is really amazing. It says these people, these deliberate people who sin continually, this high-handed sinfulness, they trample the Son of God underfoot. Now how would you trample the Son of God underfoot? Well, you look at where the word trample comes from. It's used two other times in the New Testament. And the idea of trampling is Jesus says, and you're going to recognize both of these, don't cast your pearls before the swine, for they'll trample the pearls and then they'll attack you. You know, that's the way in which they're describing a people who have no regard for the precious value of Christ and the gospel. They trample it underfoot. The other time it comes up, it talks about salt losing its saltiness. And when salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing except to be thrown in the street and be trampled underfoot. So what you have here, you have people that are not just Christians struggling with sin, but you have people that have been presented with the gospel and, and the salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they think it's worthless. And then you have, they say they not only trample that, but they treat the blood of Christ as if it was profane, as if it were nothing special. Uh, there was a, uh, I won't read it, there was a author that I was reading that quoted a, a liberal theologian who says, a God who would require the blood and sacrifice of his own son is not to be worshipped. He's to be despised. That would be profaning the blood of Christ. To insult the Holy Spirit. And Jesus would say that is called there's the unforgivable sin. That all sins can be forgiven except sin against the Holy Spirit. And what he's talking about, once again, I have to be clear, he's not talking about the average Christian who's struggling with sin. He's talking about somebody who has, has heard the truth, been enlightened, been, been part of the community of faith, been part of the church, have, have tasted the goodness of God in, in the communion service and things like that. And then they go away. He said there's no more sacrifice for them. Well, it's easy to see why they don't believe in the sacrifice that is for sin. You know, there's one sermon that everybody probably has to read in some English class at some time of your life, and you guess what it is? Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Everybody seems to have to read it, and teachers usually talk about how horrible it is. And you have this idea of him pounding on the pulpit, and his face is red, and he's pointing the fingers, and he's, he's enjoying every minute of this sermon. 
And history shows that Jonathan Edwards didn't preach like that. He preached like this, where he read his sermons without much emotion. He read it so he could get the words and the images right. And the reason he would preach sinners in the hands of the angry God is because he was concerned that because of the halfway covenant, and I'm not going to get into that, because of the halfway covenant, people that were unconverted were able to come to the Lord's table. You know, in our church, in the Presbyterian church, in many churches, you cannot come to the table until you profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jonathan Edwards was fighting against letting people that were unconverted come to the church, come to the table, and he was pleading for them not to because if you do that, you drink judgment onto yourself. He wasn't doing it out of a anger and a self-righteousness. He's doing it out of a love for his congregation that he thought some of them might perish. So the first thing that this writer does, he says, remember the judgment of God. And then he says, remember your previous experience, your past where you first saw the light. I think that's how he said it. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured with great conflict, suffering. He's talking about those people who have professed to be a part of the church, uh, professed to know Christ, but are now being tempted to walk away. And he's telling them, before you walk away, before you leave, the church, and before you leave Christ, and before you leave the faith, I want you to think about your former days, when you first accepted all of this as truth, when you, quote, saw the light, like Johnny Cash, I saw the light, when you said that. What happened at that time? What happened when you first believed the gospel? Do you remember that? Man, I can remember it. I was a junior in high school, and I can remember the amazing way in which I was converted. And I was different. He says, remember those days. And he says, I want you to remember five things. One is, I want you to remember that you endured suffering. You know, you're afraid that persecution and confiscation of your furniture and casting into prison is coming. You've already endured persecution. You've already survived it. It's not going to be any worse, and God's not going to be any less faithful. Remember how you endured. Remember that you withstood public insult. The word there, public insult, is the same word we get theater from. You have been made a theater of. You have been mocked in public. You've been ridiculed and in and among your friends, you've been called out because you you followed this this Christ, and you've been kicked out of the synagogue. Have you ever been publicly shamed? I can remember taking a class at Delta State. It was in advanced English composition. Can you believe I took advanced English composition? I was the only person in there taking it as an elective. That should have told me something. And I let the professor know the reason that I wanted to take that class is so I could be a better writer when I started writing sermons because God had called me to be a pastor. We wrote our first paper, and it was obvious he picked a sentence out of my paper and put it on the board and ridiculed me the whole time, and I finally raised my hand. I said, we all know that that's my sentence. And I just want to know, how could I have written it better? He said, Tim, you could, that's like putting a Band-Aid on a brain tumor. It would do no good. Another time, I asked him something about an outline. And he said, I'll do just like all preachers do. Talk for 20 minutes and just stop somewhere. And so I Dropped that class, had no hard feelings, saw him a long time, he taught Austin. But he publicly ridiculed me to the point where I had to leave. That's what this passage is talking about. You've, you've survived that. He said, you stood with others. You've not been ashamed of Christians. You've, you've not a run away from those who've been 
publicly shamed. You've, you've not abandoned those. You've not turned your back on them. You hadn't shrunk back in, in fear and trembling. You've stood with Christians. Now, he's talking about people that are being tempted. He's reminding them what they've done. And you suffered as if you were in prison with those people. In those days, we're gathering Christmas packages for people incarcerated. Monday, youth, remember, pizza. And, uh, and we're supplementing what the government gives them. You know, they have a bed and clothes and doctor and, you know, housing and everything. Well, when you were in prison in these days, you were provided nothing. And if your friends did not bring you food and drink and clothing, and remember Paul? Paul writes to his, his, his fellow believers and says, bring me a blanket and bring, please bring me my parchments. You know, bring me some books and stuff. He said, you did that. You identified with prisoners. You went where it was... Uh, where it was costly you went where it could have been dangerous for you and he said you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property and you go how in the world does anybody joyfully accept the confiscation of your property because obviously it made them realize where their real treasure was that they lost it and they still hadn't really lost anything you know I, I know it will sound tried if you lose something but you really can't lose what's most important Jesus said therefore do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy but where thieves break in and steal but store up yourself treasures in heaven for where your treasure is there your heart shall be also and so what the writer is doing is this is what you did you weren't just sitting on the pew. You weren't just coming to church. You were intimately involved. There was resilience and compassion and sympathy and courage and joy in your life. Are you going to turn your back on that? You've come so far. Don't leave. I thought about, I read about this in a, in a commentary, so I went back and, and watched this commentary on uh, the Navy SEALs have what they call Hell Week. And they really put them through the paces. Basically, the Navy SEALs are being prepared for the Navy SEALs. They go through this week and they don't eat very much and they don't drink very much and they don't let them sleep and they carry these logs on their back and they run and they have to beat the other team back. And if they don't win, they put a bigger log on them and they have to run with it. And they have them out in the boat in the cold water and they, they put them at the shore where the tide comes in and they do everything in the world they can do to make them quit. And then they scream in their ear, go ring the bell. You're not going to make it. Go ring the bell. And all they have to do to leave that week and drop out is go ring the bell. And the sergeant's ringing the bell. You're a wimp. You're not going to make it. Ring the bell. And then the background, you can hear their friend saying, don't ring the bell. You've come too far. You're too close. Don't give up now. Don't give up now. That's the church's job is to encourage people, don't give up, don't quit, don't drop out, don't, don't give up the faith, don't stop trusting God. Y'all remember Winston Churchill gave a speech. He went to his high school to give the commencement speech. And there was a legend that all he said was about five words and sat down, but no real truth in that but he didn't say very much the speech is about one page I guess or a little bit more but here's what Churchill said a year after being involved in the war never give in never give in never 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 in nothing great or small large or petty never give in except to the convictions of honor and good sense never yield to the force never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy Never, ever, ever give up. That's what the writer to the Hebrews is saying. Don't shrink back now. Can you imagine what they're doing? You 
He scared, he scared them with the judgment. Now he's encouraged them with what they, grace has done in their life in the past. And then he says, cast your eyes to the future because Jesus is coming and he's going to reward his people. He's going to come and he's going to come without delay. Did you see that? He's going to come and it's not going to be long. It's going to be soon. It says, in just a little while, he who is coming will come and not delay. Well, it's been a while. And those people were mocked, insulted, and shamed because Jesus hadn't come yet. I thought y'all said Jesus was coming. I thought you told us to live like Jesus died yesterday, rose today, and is coming tomorrow. And where's the, where's his coming? When's he going to come? And Peter answers that question. A day is a thousand years and a thousand years in the day. And the Lord is not slow about coming. But he desires that all repent and come to salvation. That he'll come when the, the roles of the elect are filled up. He'll come when time has come to an end. But when he comes, you'll be richly rewarded. That's verse 35. You'll be richly rewarded. We don't like to talk about rewarding. It makes it sound like something we earned. But this is cast out as a, a motivation. In Sunday school, we talked about secularism. That we're, Some people live as if today's all there is. That's secularism. There's no tomorrow. There's no eternity. But we don't live like that. We live because we know there's an eternity. And we know that God will reward His people on that day. And that realization is to affect us. Tim Keller uses an illustration. I couldn't look it up, but I kind of remember the gist of it. He probably doesn't, didn't remember much of my sermons either. But anyway, he told about if you had these two men and you gave them some meaningless job that, you know, they worked in a widget factory and they worked in uh, a room that didn't have any windows and every day they'd come in at 7 and every day they'd leave at 8 and all they do is put these widgets in this box and put the box on the next and that's all they did. But you told one that at the end of a year, you'll get $50,000. And you told the other one, you'll get $5 million. Which one whistled while he worked? Which one went to work eagerly? Which one of them kept saying, I can't believe I'm going to get this. I can't believe he's going to pay me this. I can't believe he's that generous. Which one is going to mark on the calendar when that day's coming? That's the idea. And then he does something interesting. He quotes, the just shall live by faith. Where is that? That's in Habakkuk. Remember Habakkuk? Habakkuk says, God, there's violence everywhere. The wicked are prospering. Kind of like we would pray now. God, when are you going to do something? When are you going to take care of all this problem down here? And God says, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the Babylonians, and they're going to wipe out Jerusalem. They're going to destroy the temple. God, you can't do that. Well, I'm going to do that. And then God makes a statement after Habakkuk keeps complaining. God says, the just shall live by faith. In other words, you can't see it, but you're going to have to believe it. You're going to have to believe that my word is true. My promises will be fulfilled. My rewards of the righteous will be received by them on the last day. And what did Habakkuk do? When God said, hey, I'm going to send the army, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they're going to destroy your whole land, devour it. Habakkuk has those words, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and there's no produce in the food, and there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And then it says, for the director of music on stringed instruments. That's meant to be sung in the churches. 
And what's meant to be sung is that we don't need outer props. We're glad we have them, but we don't need outer props to live by. We live by faith. And he's going to spend the whole next chapter talking about faith. Can you imagine what the angels are going to say? I, I, James Montgomery Boyce closes his sermon with this. And I'll close mine with this. Our suffering will endure for a moment, but it will achieve an eternal victory. They point to truth and grace of God forever. They will point to grace and truth of God forever. I am convinced in the farthest reaches of heaven that in what we would call billions of years from now, there will be angels who look on everyone who's been redeemed by Jesus and thrust into the spiritual warfare, and they will say, Look, here's another one of God's saints who triumphed over evil by the power of the Lord. And Revelation 12 says, they will exclaim the great victories over Satan. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of his testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and all who dwell in them. Boyce is saying, the angels will say, how in the world did Clint get here? How did he not yield and shrink back by the grace of God don't give up don't shrink back be faithful let's pray Father uh, thank you for uh, this exhortation help us to be faithful in this world help us not to shrink back in conversation help us not to shrink back in participation help us to be persevering courageous godly people in this dark world may we be the light and may they see our light and glorify our father in heaven and if there are people here who have never given their life to christ never seen the light may they see it today and give themselves to him completely in jesus name amen my hope is built on nothing less. Two five twenty one. Benediction comes again like it has every week from Hebrews 13. 
And it says, God will give you the grace to live in a way that would please Him. And that's the word that you go with. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good thing for doing His will. And may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Grace be with you all. Amen. Thank you.